This week, we meet the founder of Flat Out Feast, a local company that says it's the first in the province to receive approval to produce freeze-dried meals. Plus, the Cleantech Investment Summit's top five finalists are announced, and applications are opening for the 2022 YEG Startup Community Awards. Hi, I'm Emily Rendell-Watson. And I'm Faiza Ramji, and this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Okay, so as you heard a few moments ago, we have Lisa Belanger of Flat Out Feast joining us today. Hi, Lisa. Hi, thank you for having me. So you're producing prepared, freeze-dried, and packaged meals. What led you to be interested in doing that and uh, dream up the idea of having a company focused on that? Yeah, it really started back in 2019. I embarked on a trek to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, uh, which runs from the border of US and Mexico all the way to the border of Canada. So it's just over 4,000 kilometers and it takes five or six months to do. Two months into that journey, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes which is a lifelong autoimmune disease where my pancreas doesn't produce enough insulin to control my blood sugar levels. So it's, you know, quite literally my body was starving to death. I couldn't move the energy from food into my cells during while I was hiking this trail. So um, it was quite a shock and I ended up uh, having to come home and to deal with that. And through that journey, type 1 diabetes is quite complex to manage and it requires uh, insulin injections. And uh, there are a lot of factors that affect your blood sugar, but the biggest one of all is food. So when we're eating carbohydrates, that turns into essentially sugar in our in our bloodstream. And, and that's what our body uses for energy with insulin. But that also causes wide you know, ups and downs in our blood sugar and makes it hard to manage. So I adopted a low carb lifestyle. Some people call it keto, low carb. Uh, And that just really helps me kind of manage those ups and downs. And I discovered that there were no backpacking meals or dried meals available that were low carb. They really all had a base of carbohydrates, whether it's rice or pasta or potatoes or beans, which just would really cause havoc on my health. And so this was becoming a barrier for me in terms of finding food that I could eat on, you know, multi-day backcountry trips and I, I thought, of course, there must be other people having this barrier as well, whether they're trying to do a low carb lifestyle just for preference or for their health. And so that kind of is what led me to create Flat Out Feasts and really, you know, want to create just better food for the backcountry, but also something that was low carb that could make it more accessible for people with specific dietary needs. So that's how it came to be. That That's an incredible story. And I think obviously a lot of motivation to do what you're doing now. Now, in terms of actually having going through that experience of being diagnosed and having to make the decision to leave, um, I'm sure that must have been, you know, a hard decision to make and also probably pretty devastating in terms of I, I assume there was a lot of planning and that went into to making that trip happen over that period of time. So how much does that experience did it that it fuel your decision to not only figure out how to do this for yourself, but also for other people as well? It was definitely really challenging to leave the trail. You know, it wasn't really a choice, but uh, there was so much planning that went into it and, you know, having to leave my job and 
commit to this six month trip and then having that cut short is really hard to deal with on top of a now lifelong, you know, chronic disease diagnosis, which is hard enough on its own to deal with. So it was really challenging, but I think I just really tried to learn as much as I could about it and how I could uh, continue to to have my active lifestyle and really just manage it with what I enjoyed to do. And the fact that I was running into a barrier with food for the lifestyle that I wanted to have was really an issue. And I, I didn't want that to be an issue for myself or for anybody else. So it really kind of pushed me to create this and and jump in with two feet and see if I could make it work. That's pretty amazing that you're kind of dealing with all of these challenges all at the same time, like this finding out that you have an autoimmune disease like diabetes, um, leaving the trail that you were training for and preparing for for so long, and then trying to now manage this new lifestyle on your own and doing all this research. So how long did it take before you decided to officially jump into Flat Out Feast? And can you walk us through a little bit of the process of getting from that idea to actually having a packaged product? Yeah, for sure. So it was um, just about over a year after my diagnosis that we really decided to to do it. And it took about a year and a half from kind of that idea and starting that product development all the way till really launching the company and launching the sales. And I think the, the most challenging thing with bringing a food product to market specifically, and specifically what's considered a high risk food product because there's meat in it, is that there are so many steps that you have to to do and regulations that you have to meet before you can even make your first official sale to, you know, even begin to test the market truly. So that was um, really challenging because you have to get really far into it before you kind of know if it's going to work. So it started out with just developing the recipes, you know, having people taste them and, and get feedback on them and kind of narrowing down what we were going to start with. And then going to get in order to actually get the food handling permit, there's a lot of steps I had to do. So developing food safety plans for each recipe individually, I had to develop the packaging that would meet the federal regulations. I had to find a commercial kitchen facility that I could produce in because I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to do that in my home. And then all of those things just to get the food handling permit. And then because we were the first people ever to apply for freeze drying in Alberta, which is what Alberta Health Services told us, they had no precedent on which to base our application. So they basically didn't know how to handle it. And it was quite a long process to even get it approved because really neither of us knew, AHS didn't really know what they were looking for. I have no background in the food industry, so I wasn't sure like what they needed. And so we had to kind of go around in circles and figure that out before we could even get it approved. So yeah, it was quite challenging. And I think we just tried to keep moving forward one step at a time and kind of one challenge at a time and just overcoming that until we could get it approved and launched. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine that would be really challenging and that there probably is so much risk aversion on AHS's part and they probably want to make sure that they're being overly cautious to make sure that nothing happens to your company or to anybody who tries the food. You said you don't have a background in food. How did you come up with the recipes and how did you even figure out like how to freeze dry these and and put them into packages? Did you work with any other organizations or do you have a business partner? Uh, no, we just, it's just my husband and I, and, and we did it on our own. So, I mean, I like to cook for myself and I was just making food that was really delicious that we liked. And you can kind of turn any meal, uh, you can freeze dry 
really anything. There's a lot of possibilities. So we just took some recipes that we really liked and that other people gave us some positive feedback on and tried to create a variety, um, which we were just doing at home in our kitchen. And then we purchased a freeze dryer and tried it out. And so essentially you, you freeze the, prepare the meals, cook them, freeze it. And then it goes in the freeze dryer for you know, between 30 to 40 hours uh, to get all the moisture out of it. And then I did some research in terms of what packaging would be required. And yeah, just kind of went from there. So we just did it on our own. Now, I am really curious why you decided to go with freeze drying as opposed to dehydrating. What, What about that attracted you to one versus the other? Yeah. So freeze drying is actually very different from dehydrating. And a lot of people don't even realize the difference and use the term interchangeably. So freeze drying actually doesn't use a lot of heat in the process. It essentially freezes the food at very low temperatures, about minus 40 Celsius, and then applies a vacuum. So it's actually in a vacuum chamber and the water is removed from the food through sublimation and not evaporation. So it actually goes straight from an ice state to vapor and it skips the liquid phase. So what that does is it allows the food to maintain its shape and it doesn't kind of shrivel up like dehydrated food does. And so it maintains its texture, its, you know, its shape. And when you rehydrate it, it's a lot more like a fresh meal. Like it's harder to tell, even sometimes you can't tell that it was previously freeze dried just because it's such a, it's such a, it's a higher quality process and it just gives you a better result. I have tried, you know, dehydrated meals and they're often chewy and not that tasty and kind of they take a long time to rehydrate. And we just knew that that's not the route we wanted to go down. So, yeah, freeze drying was just a better option. I'm just curious, what are some of the meals that you've released so far and and what's been the feedback? The feedback has been awesome. So we have five meals. There's a Cajun jicama and pork skillet. So we're using jicama as a replacement for hash browns. Um, It's kind of a nice like breakfast or lunch or dinner skillet. There's a cheesy chicken casserole that has mushrooms and spinach. We have a turnip and beef shepherd's pie. So we're using turnip instead of mashed potatoes and it gives very much the same effect. There's a creamy chicken and cauliflower, which is our keto mac and cheese alternative and a beef chili with zucchini. So those are our five recipes and people have really loved them. I've received nothing but great feedback and everybody kind of has a different favorite. Uh, And even people that are not on a low carb diet or, you know, that's not something that they're looking for. They just really appreciate the quality and the better taste. And because there's more meat in the, the meals, it actually gives you a more consistent energy for longer compared to something with carbohydrates, which will kind of spike your energy and then might make you crash. So yeah, it's been great from all friends really. And we're excited to keep growing it. Cool. Well, Lisa, I think you should consider walking through Startup Edmonton and the research park because I bet you there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are spending like, you know, 15 hours a day in those buildings. And I bet you they could they could enjoy these meals just as much as a uh, as a backcountry hiker. <laughs> Absolutely. And we do have people that just eat them on a normal day or if they're busy and they're great for that because they they really are, you know, healthy. It's it's not like a like a microwave meal that maybe doesn't have all of the nutrients that you would want. So yeah, for sure. Now, where are you actually doing this workout of currently in terms of um, some of the lab testing you mentioned and then actually producing the meals? 
Yeah, the lab testing I did through the Element, I think it's called the Element Lab, and their, their Calgary Lab does food testing. So I did that through there. And then our commercial kitchen is actually at Ocean Odyssey Inland, which is in Edmonton. They have been really supportive of us actually and allowed us to use a bit of their space and were able to use their commercial kitchen in the off hours. So in the evenings and weekends, um, and they've been very supportive and really instrumental in allowing us to get it off the ground because I, it was challenging to find commercial kitchen space in Edmonton. Actually, I, I feel like there's a shortage and we weren't able to use the the normal route of maybe renting an hourly kitchen or something like that because the freeze drying process is so long and it uses specialized equipment that has to, it would have to stay there 24 seven, which is not something that the hourly kitchens, you know, have the space for or necessarily are open to. So. And where do you source your ingredients from? Like, is there a certain philosophy you have around the ingredients that you put in the meals or, or where you get them from? Um, so we're quite small scale right now, so it makes it challenging to work with large ingredient uh, ingredient suppliers, but we are working on that and, and sourcing them in more cost-effective places. But for now, we're just kind of buying them locally and, and focusing on, on making sure that they're high quality and things like that. So definitely something that's going to continue to evolve as we scale. Great. And if people want to buy, um, buy your products, which I'm sure they will after listening to this story, where can we go to find these products? The easiest place is probably on our website, which is flatoutfeasts.ca, and we deliver all, all over Alberta. And then there's all, we're also in a few stores. So we're, of course, in the Ocean Odyssey Inland store, which is where we're producing. You can find us at No Sugar, No Problem downtown and at Bucha Kombucha's Brewery, which is also a small local company, as well as a store in Fort McMurray called the Higher Ground cafe and tea house and in beaver mines at the miners mercantile and bakery. It's been really interesting listening to the experience you've had, you know, not only like the catalyst for setting up your business, but then also how you've taken all the challenges in stride and making it happen in terms of all you've learned along the way and what you've taken away from getting where you are um, having launched earlier this year. What would you share with other people who maybe want to embark on a similar path or launch a similar business? Just keep moving forward. Like, I think it's easy to get stalled and feel really frustrated. And when you're not getting the answers that you're looking for from, you know, whether it's the regulators or just people that you're you're working with. So trying to keep moving forward and accomplish at least one thing a day or one thing a week, just to really keep it going. And just remembering that every challenge that you encounter in setting up a new business is essentially a barrier to entry for somebody else. And so it, it is kind of a positive in that sense that if you're facing that barrier and you can get over it, then you're more likely to be successful and unique in doing that. And good things are, are hard. Otherwise, everybody would be doing it and, and good things take time. So kind of being patient with it and, and really um, also just being scrappy a little bit and kind of doing your own research and pulling on, you know, doing things as affordably as possible in those early stages. And you can do it without professional help, I suppose. It would certainly make it easier, but it is doable if you, if you really kind of put yourself to it. I'm sure that drive like individually in terms of you being motivated to have access to 
those kind of freeze-dried backcountry type meals yourself, having that individual personal investment of it in it is so important, um, I think, because obviously if you don't have that passion, then it's hard to get excited about all the challenges that uh, come up along the way. So a great experience that, you know, hopefully will help other folks who are maybe interested in, in doing something like this as well. Now, what uh, is next for you? Do you have any plans to to finish the Pacific Crest Trail? Yeah, actually, I am leaving in about two weeks to start it again. So I'm starting on April 13th at the border and we'll be hopefully completing it this time from start to finish. Wow, I think that will be incredible. And so does that, that you said that's five or six months? Yeah, five or six months, depending on how quickly I can walk. <laughs> and are you bringing exclusively your meals then? Like, have you just stockpiled a ton of them? I have actually. Yeah. So um, I have a bunch in my basement that I'll have shipped to me at, on the trail because I expect that finding low carb meal options will be a little bit more challenging, especially in very small towns. So I've got that prepared. And it was also part of the reason, you know, of course, why we wanted to start this is just because I knew I would need it for myself and my adventures. So I'm really excited to have like healthy food that's not just itchy bad noodles every day and things like that. So I think it'll help me power through and hopefully finish. Wow. Well, good luck to you. Um, it's an amazing story. Even just hearing what you've overcome in the last few years with managing diabetes and figuring out how you can do this trail again and complete it. I mean, I'm definitely inspired. And then on top of that, starting a business that is in such a challenging space. So congratulations on all of that. And uh, we wish you lots of luck on the trail. And hopefully you're you're able to capture some, some great photos and, and videos uh, that you can share with us later. And thanks for chatting with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Bloom is brought to you by Innovate Edmonton. In the last episode, you heard the first part of a conversation with Taproot's co-founder, Mac Mail, and the CEO of Innovate Edmonton, Catherine Warren, about inclusive innovation. Here's more of that conversation. That's a great definition, I think, uh, explanation of what we mean by inclusive innovation. I think very important takeaway. It's not just about tech. I and mean, I'm sure people are familiar with using the term inclusive to mean, you know, including people and in racial minorities and different genders and things like that. But broadening that to be about different stages and sectors, I think, is, is, a, is a wise thing for us to be doing in Edmonton. So given that is what we're talking about with inclusive innovation, do you have some examples the local examples of inclusive innovation happening here in Edmonton? There are so many notable examples right here in our own backyard. Um, if I had to highlight one right now, I would go with the work of the Community Safety and Wellness Accelerator. This is a program that we're funding alongside Alberta Innovates and Prairies Can, the federal funder. And this business accelerator brings together proven global programming. It brings the Edmonton Police Foundation and TELUS, and their goal is to help grow companies and provide artificial intelligence solutions to community and social challenges faced here in Edmonton and in cities around the world. So participating entrepreneurs are developing innovative solutions to things like housing and homelessness, uh, domestic violence, mental health, 
food security and safety, even substance use. So all of these thorny social justice problems. And I think this example also demonstrates that interdisciplinary thinking that I was talking about earlier, required to innovate and tackle these multidimensional problems. It brings together startups and open data to solve urban challenges. And it's so critical that we get leadership positioning in urban innovation, Mac, because cities are where it's at. We're where the changes need to happen. We're the cause of a lot of global problems like climate and emissions. And so it's going to be up to us, the city innovators, meaning companies in cities and people in cities to make these transformations possible for all. And so taking a look at the rest of the innovation ecosystem, three Edmonton companies, Environmental Material Science, Nanode Battery Technologies, and Quantum Silicon are among the five finalists that will be pitching at the finale of Startup TNT's Clean Tech Summit on April 7th. Life Leaf Solar of Saskatoon and Prairie Robotics of Regina are also finalists. Startup TNT says the goal is to raise more than $500,000 after raising $140,000 for Calgary's ZS2 Technologies, as well as some side deals last March at the first Clean Tech Summit. And Startup TNT is busy. This follows the Life Sciences Summit in March, which raised $250,000 for Calgary's All Skin, plus side deals for Edmonton's Mach 32 and Vancouver's Definity Solutions. And applications are now open for Investment Summit 5, which is aiming to raise more than $1.5 million for Prairie Startups on June 23rd. Well, Startup TNT is busy. I feel like I think they're busy and then they just keep doing more always. But um, great to see that there's obviously a good amount of Edmonton companies in the mix. And, uh, you know, hoping I'm hoping that we'll be able to write a bit about uh, that clean tech summit that's coming up next mm-hmm. week. April 7th is next week, right? Yes, it is. I'm losing my sense of time even more than during the last two years. But um, great that there's three Edmonton companies on that top five. And it, it will be great, obviously, if they're able to secure some investment out of that. More Edmonton companies that are hopefully going to secure some money over the next couple weeks or months. Airtrail, Cash to Crypto, The Public Food Hub Co. and Yume have been immersed in the Alberta Accelerator by 500 since January, where they've been learning about growth marketing and developing ideal customer profiles and a whole lot more, including working with mentors from the 500 Global Network as they work on plans to grow their businesses. And so today, March 31st, is demo day where they'll be pitching to an investor audience to mark the culmination of the program, demonstrate what they've learned, as well as hopefully secure some investment or at least set up uh, investor meetings. Now, I spoke with Airtrail and Cash to Crypto ahead of Demo Day, um, and you can read that story, including why they think the program will be particularly beneficial for Edmonton at taprootedmonton.ca. And on that same vein, Plug and Play Alberta also recently announced its first group of participants. So a pretty hectic early spring for tech 
related innovation entities in, in Edmonton and across the province. So across plug and plays, health, sustainability and sector agnostic streams, 46% of the businesses are from Alberta. And of those 39 companies, True Angle Medical, which we've talked about quite a bit before, Taproot and 2S Water are from Edmonton. And of course, today, March 31st, is the first day that applications are open for the 2022 YEG Startup Community Awards. This is the second year for the awards, and it's a really nice way of recognizing talent and contributions in the startup community. And Emily, if I remember correctly, you hosted last year's awards, right? Yes, I did. Straight from my home in Old Strathcona. So hopefully, I don't know if their plans are to um, to do, the, do it in person this year, but I think that would be pretty neat if it's safe enough to do that and people can actually gather together. But um, for sure, it was a really fun event. And I think obviously, it's always important to step back and look at how far the community and the people within it have come. So really nice that the the folks who volunteered to to put this together last year and then again this year, um, you know, have made this a, a, an important part of important part of the year. So it'll be a good way to kick off the summer, hopefully. And I don't think they have a date yet for that, if I'm correct in May. But if you are hoping to nominate folks or, or just curious about when it's happening, I believe you can pre-register. Uh, on their website, but also just stay tuned to their socials for that date. And otherwise, that is it for this week on Bloom. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes. And you can also always visit taprootedmonton.ca for the latest innovation news. Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave Von Beeker and our cover art is by Vicki Wersinski. Vicky Wersinski.